We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Arteta shows his commitment to the fan movement to change ownership by making sure the football doesn't take center stage. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, yeah, so basically, it was like the perfect game for a moment where the attention and the pressure is meant to be on ownership because it was sort of nothing. And as a result, it didn't take any of the attention away from the uh, quite interesting fan protest and the movement that seems to be erupting uh, to once again try to push Stan Kroenke and KSE out of Arsenal. Um, a movement that we may touch on. Look, I, I do want to talk football. So what we're going to try to do in this conversation, in this first part of the conversation, is talk about the Everton game, explore what happened there, and look forward to the absolute uh, crunch tie of the season, as they, they all will be from here on, assuming we progress, uh, against Villarreal in the semifinal of the Europa League. Because after this conversation, Akil, uh, one of the lead members of the Arsenal Supporters Trust, the AST, will be here to talk to us about the fan forum, which he was at, uh, ask questions directly of Vinay Venkatesham and, and Josh Kroenke. And so we'll get his take on that and the fan protest. Um, so we won't touch on it much in the first section. So I, I just wanted to let you know that uh, in case you know people want to hear about that. That'll be coming after the break uh, later on down the road. So with that out of the way, let me introduce Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hope everyone had a great weekend, uh, a weekend away from us, which, you know, I mean, good, good. <laughs> Hopefully not, not so good, but we're back. Uh, Clive, really, really quickly. I, like I said, I don't want to make this the thrust of it, but I'll just ask you, mm-hmm. you know, we, we did the live stream. We talked about the protest. We had the scenes of the protest on while we were doing that. But 
in terms of what it does for the players, for the coach, from a footballing standpoint, set aside for a moment what this movement means and the importance of it, because like I said, I'll get to that later. Um, how do you think this backdrop of, of fan resentment of ownership and, and fan action impacts, if at all, uh, what the players are trying to do from a football standpoint? Oh, I think it would massively. I think um, players are not immune. They all have their social media. They can all look around and see what's happening. On this day, their pre-game normal process was affected. They had to get there early just in case. They could look out the windows there at the Emirates and just see exactly what's going on. And um, of all the games of this season, I felt we missed the crowd the most in this game. Mm. I, I felt. And because they were quite close... And there was, there were. Imagine being a player when you're, you know, when you're a player. These songs just become the backdrop to what you're trying to do. It's like background music, right? And they get used to playing in front of big crowds, in front massive crowds. And the further you go up the leagues, one of the big rewards is playing in front of more people, you know. And um, and then just to not have them is hard enough, but you get used to that because they're nowhere to be seen. But then suddenly, you can hear them. There's a helicopter flying overhead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can't you can't miss the fact that they're around. And I think, you know, there's been there's been a number of freakish results this say at you know, at home. Maybe we had a couple away as well at Old Trafford, for example, that we don't normally get. But I feel that the crowd this game I don't think we lose this game. I don't think there's a number of games at home with the normal crowd in there because that's what it's all about, right? We're we're the twelfth man and we just don't allow certain things to manifest themselves, you know, mm. and it just becomes the rhythm of the game. So I felt, I really felt for everybody you know, on the playing side and management side this weekend because this was none of their doing and they were thrust into a situation that they had to react to. And yeah, we shouldn't be losing that game, by the way. But if I'd give them a little bit of sympathy. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the only thing about missing the crowd is I somewhat wonder if the crowd was there what kind of atmosphere they'd be creating because I imagine it would be 90 minutes of we want Cronky out, say we want Cronky out. And like, you know, does that help? Does it hurt? I don't know. Um, well, I, you know. there were people, sorry, mate, there were people no. outside I've listened to and know what, you know people I know who were at the protest that said that very much it was against the ownership, but very much the boy of the team. Of course, yeah. You know, so I think that would have been even bigger inside the stadium, but hey. Who's no, that, that absolutely. I mean, I think it would have been a combination of well, and and the thing that makes it so unfortunate, right? Like, and and this was something they said on the arts cast, which I thought was really good point James made. It is so unfortunate that after all of these months and months of fans being away from the Emirates, that the return to the Emirates doesn't get to be a celebration of going back into the ground to back the players and and once again take their rightful place as the the sort of beating heart of Arsenal Football Club, but instead to be outside the stadium, not permitted to go in and watch the football, but left to essentially try to create an environment that pushes the ownership out because of the toxic influence it's having on the club. It's just, it's just an awful juxtaposition there. So it's a shame. Um, but Paul, one super quick thing. We're going to try to get uh, Matt from Giant Gunner, Giant Gunner on to talk all things finance because that is his area of expertise and certainly not ours collectively, although, Clive, you have a, a bit of a background there yourself. Um, but th- this this whole rumor of Daniel Eck or whatever, the, the founder of Spotify, wanted to buy the club, I mean, whether or not I think it's ridiculous, it's problematic to me for a variety of reasons, uh, not the least of which is we go from 
a billionaire owner who has been a disaster despite decades of of sports ownership to a billionaire owner with no experience who seems to want to create a populist movement that would install ex-players as having some say, despite not really knowing whether those ex-players have the qualifications. I mean, don't we already have enough ex-players with questionable qualifications in positions? But setting that aside, you know, Arsene Wenger famously said, if I don't want to sell my house, you can't buy it. Uh, Now, he usually said that right before our players rocked up at the new camp doing keepy-uppies in a Barcelona shirt. (laughs) But setting that aside, it doesn't matter who's interested in Arsenal if the man who owns it doesn't want to sell. And this is the unfortunate thing we find ourselves in before we shift gears to Everton. Just as these rumors float around for you is the really central issue here that there will be no change absent a change in the the goals and desire of the man who owns the club. Uh, Yeah, I think the Cranky's valuation of the club and this two billion or one point eight billion number that's floating around are uh, total ends of a uh, a spectrum here. I think when, especially with this Super League stuff that's been flying around around, and they'll have been pouring over the numbers and the projections. I have no idea what the uh, Crankies value the club at. And at the end of the day, they've never really sold anything. Um, I don't. I think they're building a portfolio. And this, the value of the club has a value, uh, kind of a synergy value beyond the value of the club itself, certainly beyond its value today. I wouldn't be surprised if they see it as being worth twice what the numbers floating around are versus future projections of where they see this business going. And maybe it won't be a super league in the future. Maybe UEFA will get their shit together uh, with their um, version of what uh, the European uh, championship will become, uh, but there's no way the the crankies look at the valuation of the club in today's framework of a business, and they don't sell, and it just makes all sorts of like if they didn't have Arsenal, they'd want another Premier League uh, club uh, in Europe because that's the best league in in Europe in uh, of a profile like Arsenal. Um, preferably in a city like Arsenal City in, is in because it makes all kinds of sense for their business, their brand. Their, you know, it just makes all sorts of sense in the world. And it's like, what's he need? A bigger ranch? What does he need? He, he <laughs> doesn't mean, need $2 well, billion. Dollars. He maybe need $3 he wants billion a bigger dollars. ranch. Who are we to decide how big the ranch needs to be? <laughs> <laughs> the only reason he sells it is because he wants to take that money and buy the next LA Rams or some, but what is it like beyond football's the biggest they described it. I think he described it as the wild west, Mm. uh, as a sport, but that where there's, where there's chaos, there's opportunity too. I mean, the American sports and franchises are very, very predictable. He doesn't need predictable. He needs opportunity uh, enhancement to the portfolio. I mean, it's hard to work out exactly why they're in this business because there's probably better businesses on the planet, but it's still a good business. And this is what they do. And he's, you know, he's he's at an age now he ain't going to be changing businesses. And the son has been brought up in this business. This is their business. And you want to be in football, the biggest sport in the world, the most exciting, growing, changing, dynamic sport in the world, um, in the biggest league in the world, in London. It's like, what else are they going to buy? 
And and Daniel Eek, I mean, it's great that he's got whatever he's got, three billion, two billion, five billion, uh, but he didn't have it in cash. Yeah. Plus, when you add in uh, Henri Vieira and Bergkamp, if he has three point four billion before they join in, he has three point four billion after they join in. Uh, <laughs> no, they're not putting up money. Uh, look, no. I I don't think the question of whether he could do it is particularly interesting because I have no doubt he could. Um, billionaires have access to billions of dollars of capital and, and it would be some kind of group and there would probably be some debt burden there as well. And it would probably look a lot like what Stan did, frankly, just without the experience owning a sports team. Now that hasn't been a benefit to Arsenal where Stan is concerned. Uh, uh, look, I still think it boils down to whether Stan wants to do it or not. I think we agree yep. on that. So if you're good, why don't we shift gears to Everton, mm-hmm. talk some football and then get on to the, to the Villarreal tie. Cause I think that is really the crux of it. So, Look, Paul, I think this is going to be one of the hardest types of games to discuss because what you want on a podcast or in a tweet, God knows, is a strong, raw emotion, a feeling of, of great pride or tremendous anger. Those things set up for a good conversation. The problem is this was a 7 out of 10 performance with a 3 out of 10 finishing and, you know, basically... The breaks didn't go our way. We lose a penalty to the pixels on the screen, which is a joke, and they get their goal thanks to pixels on the screen combined with a Leno Howler. But other than that, like, it's a perfectly acceptable 7 out of 10 performance that, in my mind, Paul, encapsulates Arsenal under Arteta at the moment right now, which is just, there's a lot of pretty pictures and patterns, but it isn't quite delivering. You know, it's like Man City if Man City didn't have... Chances and goals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, I think that's really right. Um, like, I went back to this game after we did our instant reaction podcast, and I was determined to see that Everton weren't really up for it, and they weren't really, or that we were a little off. Now, now I think, uh, to Clive's point, where, where all of this turmoil cost us is in momentary, stupid uh stupidity we can think of one or two or three things in this game where it's like oh that was bad but that was in the moment in terms of the overall commitment to both sides i expected this to be a bit lackluster when i kind of looked at it in the cold uh light of day but both teams like the energy expended from both teams in this game i'm not saying it was the highest quality you've ever seen the commitment was there the energy was there they both had a plan the problem was they were going to create fewer, I guess, opportunities to have opportunities than us because they were kind of playing on the counter. But their opportunities were going to be better. And that's kind of what ruled the day. They would have fewer uh, opportunities but more one-on-ones. And in particular, to, you know, you could see where their plan was to isolate Chaka at some stage. And uh, But from our standpoint... We brought energy. We, we there was a lot of good build up. A lot of people played pretty well till we get into the final third and around the box. And in moments where we could have done something a little special, we did something a little unspecial. The decision making, the final ball, kind of classic stuff. We didn't. Maybe we didn't have our killers on the pitch with an Aubameyang or a Lacazette in form. You know, it was maybe a game or two too soon for Eddie to show his stuff, though he hasn't shown that for a long time. 
Um, and it's just it was set up to be a frustrating day where we would flatter to deceive, but but not put that final ball. You know, we did have a few chances here, and we did have a few chances in front of goal. And it was kind of oh, look, he kicked it into the keeper's hands, or he didn't mm. quite get it off quick yeah. enough, or he kind of flubbed it. Just frustrating. It was not lack of effort. It was not lack of a game plan. I'm I'm sure there was something cleverer we could have done in terms of how we set up. But it's like everything up till the edge of the box is fine. Yeah, it's, fine. it's seven out of ten, you, six out of ten. You, you know might have I mean? wanted a bit wrong. more of it. Yeah, but but again, I, I I still think there's a big part of other teams do tactics, and we should like Everton were actually really added in terms of energy. And their plan it might have been the most ambitious plan, but they were really snapping into the tackles. This was a pretty physical game. Um, this this was, you know, I'd seen it written up as two mid-table table teams kind of with not so much to play for. That's that's not actually how I saw it when I yeah. put on the cold light Fair of day. Enough. I, you know, look, I think the problem is, especially if you're neutral and who cares about neutral, is that yeah. most okay. of what you're going to get your blood pumping about is penalty box action, what happens at that yep. end of the pitch. And that's really where things short-circuited. I think the argument against Arteta is we've been playing a lot of games where we have to edge them. And we didn't edge yeah. this one. And it was a combination yeah. of, I mean, look, they created next to nothing. They got a goalkeeping howler for their goal. And we we ultimately didn't create much. But anyway, you want to measure this. We had more shots than them. We had more expected goals than them. We dominated the possession. We dominated the final third possession. We dominated the penalty box passes. So yeah. there was a lot of... It just wasn't of, enough. No, it just yeah. wasn't enough. And and I think some of that is down to the quality at center forward. Oh, I th- thought Enkedia had a an acceptable game. But someone's still going to stick the ball like. in the back of the net. I mean, look look at Manchester City against Spurs in the cup final, which is hilarious, by the way. And they sacked their cup, final, their cup specialist coach, supposedly, right before the cup, put in a guy with no coaching experience, and get pounded in the cup final. Now, they would have anyway. But if you look at that game, I think it was like 2.9 expected goals to .04. And yet, the .04 was a phenomenal diving save right, to keep, yeah. Spur- I think it was LaCelso from scoring. And City needed a, a header from a set piece, despite all their yeah. good work. But this is the point. When you create 2.9 expected goals and concede .04, you can just about edge it. When it's .8 to .6, you're leaving a lot in the balance. And that's really where the yeah. difference is for me right now. So, so Clive, uh, two things I want to touch on. So just first, with, with respect to the attack, yes, it's missing Odegaard, and yes, it was missing Aubameyang and Lacazette. Um, but I do think that this is something that, that at times, you know, we, we've been good at Slavia Prague and Sheffield United. We, we created plenty, but do you still think that that's the last piece of the puzzle that Arteta has, has massively improved the way we progress the ball, the patterns of play, the triangles, all of that stuff. But when it comes to this team creating, you know, good chances on the end of it, that's still lacking. And what I would ask you is, is that a coach's job or is that ultimately where, you know, kind of like the bird being pushed out of the nest, the players just have to fly. You've been put in the positions, now go score some goals. Yeah, I think I'm getting this from listening to videos and reading and, and listening to Harry on me. They say that basically, even Pep used to say that it's my job to get you to the last third. When you get to the last third, it's down to you. And I think... We've had many podcasts here, but we couldn't get to the last third. Remember those ones? Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't get we couldn't get anywhere up the pitch, or we were getting up the pitch in certain areas, and 
not using the central zones. And I think we get out of the pitch pretty well for the players that we have. And, and I think we have some players that carry a level of authority, but some that are just not there yet. And so they need, they need to be carried by senior players. And, you know, just look at the Everton front four. And, and by the way, there's a couple of players that I rate and a couple of players I don't. But you look at Richarlison, Sigurdsson, Calvert-Lewin, and... Uh, and um, Hammy. Hammy Rodriguez, sorry. Yeah, Rodriguez. Right, so Sigurdsson, 50 mil. Richarlison, 50 mil. Calvert-Lewin, you wouldn't get any change out of 50 mil right now for an English player with that level. He's going to go to Euros and he deserves to as Harry Kane's backup. And, and James has been, for at one period, one of the best players in the world. Right? So they carry a level of I've been there, done it. You see what I mean? Either been there, done it for real, or physically they can really cope. But they have a level of authority. I don't think any of them played well. I do like Richardson as a player and Calvert-Lewin I do like as well, but I don't think they played well. I thought they were awful as a four. If you look at our four, you've got Saka, Smith-Rowe, Pepe, and Ketia. What's the average age of those four? Mm, tw- 20. Yeah, where's the certainty of performance? You know, how many international caps, full international caps in that group? You see where I'm going? It's just, there's lots of talent. We love those players. They can't be playing, you know, every single week, starting, carrying our hopes. They haven't got the authority and the certainty. We know they're going to be great. You know, particularly the two youngsters, their second Smith Rowe. Pepe can be good. Never going to be the player we paid for, but that wasn't his fault. I thought he was good in this game, by the way. Just just as as an aside, I think he was undervalued in this game. Yeah, Yeah, I think he's been good throughout the year. But, you know, we... When you look at this team, we probably want him to be better than he actually is. Do, do you see what I mean? Um, because we know he's the guy, the senior guy at twenty-five. We <laughs> yeah. need, we need, we need that guy to step forward. And so, because of that, we lack, we lack. All, I always say this: it's about authority. And sometimes, honestly, lads, we, you, you walk on the pitch and you look at the other team and you just say, "Yeah, I fancy it today." And it's literally like that. And yeah. when we got our our big boys out. We have a bit more authority about our work, a bit more certainty, and it just makes people react differently. I think we looked vulnerable on the day, despite playing quite well. Yeah. In a footballer's mind, um, I still think I've got a chance against these because they're young and they will fade. They will go. They lack a bit of strength in certain areas, lack a bit of speed in certain areas. It has to go well for us with this team out there. When we got our, our top boys out there, our more experienced boys out there that have done a few things, that have track records over five years, then, then we 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 are the Arsenal team, and I think, I think for for the team that we had out, I thought we was, I thought we were fine. We look like we're coached, but you can't. In the end, Elliot, I can almost hear people saying, "But Clive, we keep losing. We lost to Burnley. We lost to Aston Villa twice. We lost to Wolves twice." And they're right, and we've seen all those games, and we were never dominating any of them apart from the Villa home game. And but this is happening too often, and I I'm. I've spoken about the floor before this team. But in the end, you have to manage key moments. And we managed to not manage those moments and they keep going against us at critical times. It is a tension that I think we are all feeling. I I want to be clear. I, I cannot uh, argue with, I cannot dismiss, I cannot be critical of someone who would say, 
We're 10th. We've lost 13 games. We've scored the fewest amount of goal. Uh, uh, we've already had more goalless games at home than any season ever, whatever the case may be. Like the numbers that are stacking up are really bad numbers. And anybody who wants to look at those and say that for me is it. That's not acceptable. I am not going to take the moral position of saying you're wrong and let me give you all of these underlying metrics because I know for some people their attitude is what do those mean? I find myself feeling the need to be a bit more circumspect. I mean, I look at Graham Potter, Graham Potter at Brighton. Everybody mostly thinks he's doing fine. The underlying metrics for him are good, and the patterns of play look really good. They just can't stick the ball in the net. And that people, you know, a lot of Arsenal fans I talk to are like, Graham Potter's great. Brighton are playing good football. They've been really unlucky. It'll come around. How is that really different from us, though? Really? Now you can say, well, because we're Arsenal, and we have a different set of standards. Totally agree. But if you've got guys like Eddie Nketiah, who's probably Brighton level... Up front for you, you may struggle to stick the ball in the back of the net. Watching Danny Welbeck this season when I watch Brighton has been sad. There's no other way to say it. I like the guy uh, a lot, but he, he can't do anything. So, I don't know. I mean, since this Boxing Day resurgence that everybody likes to point to, we're on a 64-point pace. It's kind of meh. But if we'd been on a 64-point pace all season, I don't think the angst would be there. Now, that requires hand-waving, a start that is so bad that maybe it should never be hand-waved. It needs to be examined. But that's really what I you know, what I look at is I say, we, we've had ups and downs this season, but since that Boxing Day change of system and, and change of approach to football, we've mostly kind of been par. Now it's got to get better. The other thing you do is you look around the league and you see what other quote-unquote big teams are doing results-wise and goals-wise and performance-wise, and there's a lot of lackluster shit going on right now. So... I think what it boils down to is what we all know, which is that the season's kind of coming to the point where it's Europa League or bust. I I did a poll on Twitter. Let's say we finish ninth and we lose to Villarreal. Let's say we finish ninth and beat Villarreal but lose to United. Let's say we finish ninth and win the Europa League. And I said, would you keep Arteta under those circumstances? 90% would keep him if we win the Europa League. About 65%, 70% would keep him if we make it to the final. About 60% would sack him if we don't make the final. And it makes me uncomfortable because we don't want to be a cup team. You should judge on the 38-game league season. But I think it shows you, and that's just a poll on Twitter, you know, some thousands of people, but kind of what is hanging in the balance coming up. But before we get to that, Paul, you know, one thing that I, I think did was an interesting tweak in this game. Uh, Richarlison plays from the left, but in this game he played from the right. And I think yeah. the goal was to target Chacken. Now, to be fair, he had basically no joy the whole game. He wasn't a big factor. I think he beat him twice yeah. and once leads to a goal and yep. shouldn't have. But it does raise the question that a coach looked at this and said, I can target Shaka. I'm going to put my guy who I think can beat him on him. So what do you think about uh, Richarlison being put on Shaka and how Shaka responded, but also what that means for Shaka continuing forward in this role, if you worry, you know, someone like Emery, who we know loves to watch tape, God, does he love to watch tape, certainly going to look at Chikwesi and say, I got to get him up against Granit Xhaka. Yeah, well, well that's what I think. I think Emery's going to look at the tape and mm. think Chukwesi against Xhaka. Chakwesi. Mm. Uh, um, so it'll be interesting to see what we think our options are at left back in this game because it could be very very similar i guess the first game's away right so mm. maybe they'll be a bit more protagonist 
Um, and maybe that won't be the worst thing because we'll be a little more set. I mean, we so clearly played a three in this and the three was Chaka, uh, Marie in the centre and holding on the right with Chambers pushed up a bit. I mean, this it's a shame it wasn't a good result because it tactically... We're quite interesting at the moment, maybe not to any the rest of the world, but to ourselves, it, like the whole Sabayas, Pepe, Chaka side of things. Party is very much holding the center on his own with uh, as a hub and people rotating around him. Uh, the distribution from Chaka's side at um, that whole dynamic with uh, Sabayas linking up with him is interesting. Chambers did get forward in this game even more than I had remembered and put in some really good balls that could have turned into something. He had that he got himself into the middle of the box and uh, had a shot that he kind of hit into the ground a little too deeply and it just kind of skimmed over where the bar was. Um, there were lots of interesting things where we we got into the box or around the box and then not very much. Um, but... It we've invested against different teams. This was the game I would have expected we didn't play Chaka there because it was obvious what they should do. And lo and behold, they went and did it. So I'm a bit worried that this is just how we're playing and we're just going to try and not make that mistake against Villarreal in the next game. And it will literally be uh, Chaka versus Chuck Wazy. He didn't always play for them. But um, well, in that situation, you think you might, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could see it. So, and, and then you say, well, what are our options at the moment, given that we haven't trusted anybody else at left back for a little while? So, uh, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, I've been looking a bit at Villarreal over the weekend, and they're like, I know they're not having an absolutely brilliant season. But like, they're they're not like these other teams we've played. They're dangerous <laughs> up front. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, one of the things we're talking about possibly doing for Patreon is a, a rewatch of the second half against Barcelona as a sort of preview mm. of what to yeah. expect because that, that was an interesting half of football uh, that they were definitely um, effective in. So we could look at that. <clears throat> Clive, let's, let's jump ahead. Uh, we could talk about the offside, and, and maybe we will, but I I don't know that I have the energy anymore for us to explain why it's obviously stupid the way they're drawing these lines on the pitch and the way they're doing the offside rule and how it's against the spirit and how, you know, how can you draw pixels on one side, but on the other side, you have no idea if it's the exact moment the ball leaves the foot. Like the whole thing is stupid. None of it makes sense. We all agree on that. Probably a soft penalty. And I still think you got to go win the game on your own, but the goal we concede is certainly one we shouldn't. So let's talk burn Leno. You know, I watched Manuel Almuni. I lived through that and I have the scars and the emotional damage to, to prove it. Um, Manuel Almunia lost us games, like multiple games, lost us titles. Manuel Almunia made his defense play worse. I think that the narrative around Leno is probably starting to tilt too far to the side of him being a problem, more than he is. Um, we have the best or second best set piece defense in the entire league. That was, you know, remember Almunia, all you had to do was loft a straight ball into the box and let him fluff, you know, fluff his lines, wave at it fan at it and and tap it into the goal for you know for an easy goal like I, I don't know I don't I don't see Berlino being anywhere near the level of problem that is being discussed but certainly his form is a question his distribution is weird to me he's kicking longer more again maybe by design but it's not working and then there's this this is this is just inexcusable I don't know if it's a lapse I don't know if maybe 
He he sees Calvert Lewin coming out of the corner of his eyes, and that's that's what he's trying to position himself for, and takes his eye off it for a minute. But how do you feel about this obvious howler that Leno concedes, and and where it leaves him in terms of the pecking order, given that his backup Matt Ryan had been given a game just a game before. Yeah, and I I thought that was significant actually. I know you I did, yeah. was, which was uh, pressure of you. You you caused yeah. the Leno Haller. Congrats. <laughs> because I think he's been he's been afraid of the edges for a little while, and and it just it just has. He's, the thing I look for. I'm I'm not a goalkeeping coach, but my good friends at work, Mark is, and we talk a lot about this. And he said consistently from the start, we picked the wrong goalkeeper, and he goes into it as to why, and. You mean it's versus Martinez? Yeah. You mean between yes, the two? exactly. Okay. Yeah, he goes into it as to why. A lot of it is around command. A lot of it is about how defenders look when he's there. And he feels, you know, we feel in discussion that basically he doesn't command his area enough, doesn't help defenders enough. But for me, I look at simple things like shot saving and that's it. And Leno and Martinez are both very good at that. Um, but authority means something. And Martinez really gave us an edge last year when it came to that towards the end of the season which I did not expect I actually been watching him lately he's not playing that well to be honest but because I think the goalkeepers they either exude this authority or they don't and I think Leno is starting to look nervous that's it regardless of whether he's making saves or not he's starting to get that feeling that something bad's going to happen you know and uh, and the Everton goalkeeper, by the way, is a good example. He was going through this recently. He seemed to have, like, he took some time out, had some games off. He got himself in some great shape. He physically dropped some weight. He looks fantastic, and he's springing around that goal. And it looks like he's going to make saves. He, you know, it's a great example of somebody just needs, he needs a break. He's out, he's back in, and he looks sharply. He saved him a point in the weekend, because that save from Martelli was, was the game changer, right? Yeah. So, I think Leno is going through a dip. And there's no I just think there's no issues if he's going through a dip saying, you know what, I've got to make a decision here. Uh, because I am playing for the I'm playing for my life. And his goalkeeper is not exuding any confidence at all. Whereas Matt Ryan now just looks like he's he's won the lottery. And hit yeah. every minute he's just out there, he's giving it everything at, he looks so sharp, he looks so focused and engaged. And Leno doesn't. Can, can I ask you something, though? Has has Arteta unwittingly created this problem for himself by playing Matt Ryan in the Fulham game? Like, like I get that he wants to get a look at him, and maybe there's an understandable reason, but like if you just stick with Leno there, and maybe he gets through it, and he doesn't feel there's competition breathing down his neck, you don't go into a semifinal now not knowing who your best keeper is. Has, has Arteta... Made his nah. life more difficult with that decision? No, not at all. Okay. Now he can make. Now he can make a choice. Well, I retract. Goal- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because his goalkeeper has played. So now I've got two live goalkeepers. I can make a decision on. Mm. Right? And because he's had a game, if he played Matt Ryan in this in this game, and he hadn't played, he makes one little issue. We'd all be killing him. How can he play him? He's not had a game for three months. This so means he's had a game. Now the playing field is level, and um, yeah, I think you know, and also. You know, Leno's been making a few mistakes for a while now, you know, and you could argue some of the back pass goals we've given away. You know, I didn't think they were both his fault, but you could easily, easily attribute those games to him. Dis- distribution side, I got to agree with you, Clive. Like, from a di- if you want to really pull him up, distribution is where I would do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always conscious, you know, 
I've got no football, but I'm not a goalkeeper, so I'm always conscious of this. Um, it's it's difficult. But the near post one at West Ham, not great. On a quick free kick. Come on, lads, we win that game. Don't concede that goal, you know? There's real points here. There's real points here. And so there is a little bit of evidence there saying there is there is a decision to be made. Now, some people say, you're mad, you can't do this now. But I don't care because I just don't see, I look into his eyes on the screen, I see somebody that's struggling with it a little bit. Yeah, um, I guess, um, do, you, do you worry at all? And then Paul, I promise we'll bring you in here. Um, do you worry at all that, that there's an aspect of Leno, you know, he had some comments recently about not knowing where his future is, yada, yada. I mean, like, managers aren't going to want to hear that at the very, very tail end of the season with a semifinal on the horizon. Yeah, well, he's up there saying two years ago, I don't know what, I'm not sure what the future is. Yeah, no, no worries, mate. That's that's absolutely fine. And he's he's a good goalkeeper. I've got you know, I've got no real issues with him. At the moment, he's out of form, so we have a decision to make. Yeah, simple as that. Like any player, if it was, if it was a right back, a left back, he's out of form. We make a decision. Don't make the goalkeeper position special. It isn't. He's not doing it. Sit, sit down. Here, here's the only area where I'd slightly disagree. Up at the front of the pitch where you got to score goals, I want you to pick the absolute most talented guy who can win you a game from nothing. In keeper, I don't need him to be the best. I just need to know he won't make a mistake that loses you the game. You can't do what Leno did at the weekend. You can have a mediocre keeper. If he saves the ones he's supposed to and doesn't throw it in his own net, that's fine. You'd like better than that, but you can win with that. You cannot win with a guy who throws it in his own net. So now the question for Arteta isn't which of these guys is going to be a star for me against Villarreal, because hopefully you don't need that. The question for Arteta is which of these guys will hold his nerve? And I don't know that he's got a clear answer there. And I will turn it over to you. The only thing I will say, uh, uh, Clyde, before I turn it over to Paul, is you said that Leno looks like uh, something bad is always about to happen. And I would uh, defend him by saying we are all Arsenal supporters, and I think we can agree something bad is going to happen. Uh, that's that's pretty much that no, should be the title of the podcast. Something bad is going to happen. <laughs> I don't agree with your view of goalkeepers, by the way. I think uh, you don't like my refrigerator. Really... Should I break out my refrigerator <laughs> opinion again? Because everybody loves yeah, no, those. <laughs> because you know, I always look. I always look at someone a goalkeeper like Millionaire at Liverpool, decent goalkeeper, did some made some good saves, but Allison was just better. Yeah, but Minia, but but Minule cost them. A, a European trophy because he that threw was, it in uh, his. You know, he lost that his was, nerve. He had a mental no, breakdown. That, that was that was Carius. Uh, Car- yeah, Carius. sorry, Lars Carius. Yes, that's why I picked yep. on Millionaire because he yeah. was just fine. He was just fine, just like our goalkeeper was just yeah. fine. Carius was doing things that were yeah, just. He had a breakdown. That was actually hard from. to watch. To be fair, yeah, I, well, very, Clive, very upsetting. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying I want a mediocre goalkeeper. I want a star. But what I'm saying is, in the situation that that Arteta's in right now. He has to pick the guy. Big solid. Yeah, he has to pick because he doesn't have a star. He's got to pick the guy who will hold his nerve. So, Paul, that, that's what I wanted to ask you is, yeah. do you worry that Leno has lost his nerve? Or do you think the narrative is over-indexing this error? Because in general, the problem with being a goalkeeper is you throw one in your net and suddenly it's a question. You can't make a big mistake at goalkeeper without people really focusing on it. You can make a big mistake almost anywhere else on the pitch. Hell, even a, a center back can kind of sort of get away with it. Keeper can't. So is it is it too much narrative right now or is it a big question for the manager? 
definitely a big question. Um, his response on the goalkeeper situation was kind of interesting because he says, when asked about the goalkeeper situation, um, he says, no, I think we have two really good goalkeepers. So it's a bit vague what he was asked. But mm. then he goes straight to uh, Matt Ryan got a chance against Fulham because he deserves it. I said before the game that he'd been training really, really well and Burnt is our number one keeper and he'd been doing well and errors are part of football. Um, so depending on, on how he was asked the goalkeeper situation, is he prepping us for the fact that Matt Ryan is now ready and that that's what that... But it may have been just the kind of the leaning of the question of do you have a tough question, tough decision to make between these two guys? Um, there's risk with Matt Ryan, too. We've talked about the Leno risk. And I agree. He's at the moment. He looks a little rattled, but I think he's a tougher character. Like you mentioned the Almunia thing and how you had scars from it. Well, I remember those days, and I had scars from you having scars from Almunia. Um, you, you, you were. He he caused you severe psychological damage, and you passed it on to the rest of us. He, he um, might be my least favorite ever Arsenal player. I'm not even. Yeah, doing, yeah. And he is in that position. Like if you're if you're watching one of those bank heist movies, and there's always the guy in the gang. That's like looks really, really nervous, like he's going to shit himself at any stage and screw everything up just to make the movie exciting. Mm -hmm. And like that, that was the issue with Almunia. I, th I think on if you averaged out him as a keeper, uh, he was probably pretty close to good enough. It's the fact that he had had everybody convinced and therefore nervous and sketchy around him that he was about to shit the bed and take the team with him. And that's one of the things I've always thought Leno's pretty good at. He just seems very, very solid. He he, he generally has an air that's fairly calm. Now, I think that air is a little cracked at the moment. People kind of look. <laughs> that thing uh, Clive said about, I look into his eyes and, uh, you know, you want to see the eyes looking back. I'd say every time anybody even walks past burnt Leno in the dressing room. They're all looking into his eyes and he's like, stop looking at me, bloody eyes. I'm fine. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's, he's in the, he's getting a sandwich at lunchtime in a store around the corner. And the sandwich guy is looking into his eyes, trying to see what they can see with burnt Leno. So, um, like after a while, it just gets to you a little bit, but there's a risk. Obviously you throw Matt Ryan in, even if he's in reasonable shape and he's in reasonable goalkeeping form, you put him in a tense combative game where everybody's not quite sure, you know, which is his good foot? Where does he really like it? If I put it there, Leno gets to it because he's more athletic. This guy's not quite as, you know, there's all of those uncertainties of, I know what Len, I know Leno wants me to play it back to him here because I've been playing with him for two years. I don't know if Matt Ryan wants it under that much pressure right now. May, you know, do I put it out? No, I'll put it back. Oh shit, he wasn't ready. You know, so you even if Matt Ryan's in a reasonable place, his connections to other people are going to be that little bit off. So I don't know what we're going. If it were me, what would I do? I'd pick Leno again for Villarreal, uh, despite the fact that he's a a little nervous he it's the devil we know basically yeah. <clears throat> and i think he should can respond and he's our not like then you got the it doesn't really 
this is such a big game that you don't worry about this in one sense, but you still got the, what have I just done to my, our number one keeper to drop him for Villarreal? Um, does that mean I'm not playing for the rest of the year? Because there's a second leg of Villarreal and then there's the United final. What, do I drop him and then bring him back in because Matt no, Ryan was that, bad that's or not Matt it, Ryan right? was good? If he makes the yeah. switch for Thursday... That's your number That's one the rest of the season, and then you're yeah. you're going into the summer buying a new keeper, you know. And and Arteta may not see that both keepers can give him the same kind of game. So, you know, we've kind of built our game around Leno. Uh, I don't know. I think Leno is going to get one one more stab at showing he can be solid. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see about that. Um, you know what you don't want to stab, solid or not. I do. <laughs> Your privates? <laughs> um, not my best segue. But you don't want to stab them. You don't want to scab them. You don't want to cut them. You don't want to nick them. You just want to trim the hair, not the flesh. And with that, we are into the Manscaped promo. Our dear friends at Manscaped, uh, there's so many good things I want to say about this company. But before we even get into their wonderful products, I want to talk about their wonderful mission. And that is uh, to raise awareness for uh, the Testicular Cancer Society. Manscaped, now available in the USA, Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, the EU. Uh, We have an exclusive offer. When you use promo code ArsenalVision, you get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. And right now, together with the Testicular Cancer Society, Manscaped's committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men age 15 to 35. Uh, I imagine many of you listening fit that description. And giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of We Save Balls initiative. Um, And so while it has a silly name, it is an important mission Proud of them doing that and proud to be able to speak about it. And hopefully uh, the next time you're using your lawnmower 3.0, before you get to the shaving, you'll get to the uh, checking just to make sure everything is is safe down there and that you are uh, free and clear to shave away. And hopefully you will shave away all of that unwanted hair. We've got a live event coming up. We're going to be talking about that in mere weeks and hope to see you there. But whether we see you there or not, when this whole pandemic nonsense is over, you know the plan. We're all going to see who's got the best the best. Manscaped, no, we're not. I keep saying we're going to do it, and I'm worried that people are going to do it. We're not going to do it, but you should do it. You should do it for yourself, for your partner, for men, for women. It makes no difference. This thing is awesome. The Lawnmower 3.0, uh, uh, waterproof, battery operated. It has ceramic blades. Yes, ceramic, genuine ceramic blades with skin safe technology. So you're going to want to get that. You're going to want the weed whacker, does the ears and the, the nose. They have amazing um, uh, tonics and products for your privates that make them smell good, look good, feel good. It's all good. Just get 20% off and free shipping by using promo code ARSENALVISION. That's it. ARSENALVISION at checkout. You're done. Always the right tools for the job, my friends. It's manscaped.com. Go there now. Clive, is that enough? Yes, sir. Let's go. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) Yes, I'm sure. It is is enough. Clive's old school, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. That, you know what? There's not, nothing wrong with that. Not, nothing wrong with 70s style, even if it's against the brand, uh, the pod brand. But what I what I will tell you is, uh, if you don't watch our live streams, I hope you will start to watch our live streams because uh, you actually get to see the lawnmower 3.0 in the live stream. You also get to see Clive's beautiful face and Paul's beautiful face and uh, my what has been described as a face, uh, along with other people. So I hope you'll join us for our live streams. We'll have one pre-match before the uh, Villarreal tie on Thursday where we can all freak out together. Better to freak out together than alone, at least presumably. Okay, enough of that. Uh, Clive, I guess that means 
we can just about set aside the Everton result. Look, we are going to finish mid-table. Uh, that is done. We are not going to qualify for Europe by the league. It makes it very easy for the players to focus on the mission ahead. Um, I guess I can ask you, do you care to have a conversation? You know what? Let's do one more thing from the Everton game. I'm not going to do the VAR thing. I'm just not. There's content out there for it. Uh, Andrew and James had a great discussion on the cast about it. You can listen to theirs. I, I got nothing to add. We all know it's ridiculous and it has to change. The people that that run football need to get their head examined. But one thing I did want to t- touch on from the Everton game, Eddie Nketiah actually had a pretty decent game in my view. I, th- I thought he was fine. Like, not good, but just like I was. I thought he wouldn't be as good as he was. He was perfectly acceptable. But Gabriel Martinelli comes on the pitch, probably our first time seeing him at center forward, really. And like, it's not that he did anything amazing, but one little moment where there's nothing there, just his tenacity and his understanding in the box and his quick feet to get a shot off and nearly get us that equalizer. I, I just feel like every time he is on the pitch... He has a unique ability to provide some kind of end product, sometimes from nothing, sometimes, you know, as as part of play. I know all the issues some people have with him technically and in build-up and stuff, but I see a player that if there is no Oba and there is no Laka on Thursday, should should be picked ahead of Enkedia. So do you have a feeling about the the cameo Martinelli made and and how involved he should be on Thursday in light of the way he's been playing? Yeah, he looks sharp. He looks like somebody can do something. I don't think he's a... Uh, Those are good players to have, I feel. <laughs> yeah, he looks sharp. He can do stuff. And, you know, the stuff he does is quite unexpected. He tried an overhead kick the other week. I thought, that's crazy. But that's sort of stuff that you, you want for your forward. Um, I think, again, he's the, he's the next man. Well, by that, I mean he works. He should work off somebody. He should work off the man. I don't think he's the man yet, right? He needs to work off the man. I still think he's better in the half spaces. Or we play is, with. Is that you know, a Griezmann type guy? Then you're talking about Griezmann's always been a yeah, guy. Yeah, he's, works he's, off he's the somebody man. that needs to be yeah to be free to work off at somebody else because I think he can see stuff. You know, people say, "Oh, we should just play. We should just play Martinelli." But you have to think about the sort of player that he is. He tends to be somebody who can go long in behind, but he's not. He's, he's okay at it because he's quick. But he's really good at sharp, more sharp, small movements. Really in crowded areas, funny enough. He's really smart. He sees space where there is none. So if you play someone like Martinez, we develop how to you know to play with him. We need to squeeze the game a lot more. Squeeze the game up, play much higher, and compress the space. I think he'll be dynamite in compressed space game. It's not just about replacing one for the other because he's had a good shot. You know, it's a completely different way of playing. You know, and I think if if we're in a situation where Aubameyang doesn't play, I think I think he will. But if he doesn't play, we need we need to, to think about how we play completely. And I would I would just change Shaka out the back four. I would play a different left back. I would squeeze the game up, and I'd put them under pressure from the front, and make it a Martinelli game. So don't play the Arsenal game we played recently, where we've built up slow distances, tri- wide triangles, get people in cross. You know, I don't think that's wholly his game unless he's part of it from the wide areas. So it needed it needed a few changes for me, but which I'm which I'm sure the manager can work out for himself. I think he's really bright and I never know what's gonna happen really with him. You know, I can just watch him and think, What's he gonna do now? You know, it's really interesting how he sees the game, his desire to get shots, desire to create something. When he goes left foot, he gets great left foot crosses in, right foot crosses, good shots. He makes the right decision on his shots. He creates his own shot. There's a lot there, Elliot. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot there. 
But again, we're back to where we were when we talked about authority. He's 19, is he? 19, 20? It's another young kid we're loading up and loads of discussions about Super League. We could have, we could end up with two 19-year-olds and a 20-year-old leading our attack at the, well, if, in the... Well, if they're those 19 and 20-year-olds, I'm probably fine with it, to be fair. Yeah, but it's a lot... To, I, I love to see young players get a break, but come on, man, that's a lot to ask. Yeah, I mean, Ajax, Ajax nearly did something special in the Champions League with that kind of age profile. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm, I, it's, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's ideal. I get it. I know you need you need some senior players, but those are some you good need, young players. You just need one. just need one. That's well, Aubameyang, we, Aubameyang's old enough for all of them. <laughs> we, we beat Spurs, didn't we, with, with Odegaard, uh, Saka, and Smith-Rowe behind Lacazette. You just need one. You see what I mean? To yeah. build from. We've got Party in behind. You've got Shaka in behind. You need to create... Well, a nice right. armchair for them to just, just thrive in. But be you the can't manager. Get them to be the armchair and then do the finishing touch as well. You know, if, it's a lot to ask. I look. I mean, if Oba's fit, he starts. If he's fit and like really genuinely fit, can do it, he starts. But I'm asking you the hard question. He's not fit. Who are you picking? Oh well, uh, if he's not fit, I would go with uh, Martinelli. Yeah, I, okay. I would. I would go with him. That's not. It's not. It's not really a hard question. They're going to share the game no matter what. Mm. Got five subs, five subs, so it's not it's not a big deal if he if Eddie starts and we press from the front and and Martinelli comes on and picks their pockets. That's not the end of the world, you know. People get obsessed about starting. It's it's not always the issue, particularly when we've got five subs. It's about how you manage the whole game and what sort of game you want to play in the first quarter, second quarter, etc. So if we want to play an Eddie game to start with, because Eddie looked really sharp for the first forty oh, yeah, minutes. I thought so too. He faded, but yeah, I really sharp. But he faded badly, right? So hasn't played if much. he can reproduce that, then we but we change it. But the problem is with Arteta. This is one problem I do have with him. I don't think he changes it quickly enough. Concept of sharing games. He he did it really well in the five star FA Cup run. Yeah, but, but in he's Europe, he's been weirdly slow. I agree. With the five subs in Europe, I think he's he's been slow to react or slow to yeah. – what's the opposite of react? Proact. <laughs> slow to, to yeah, take control of the game. We young players share the game with them. They, yeah. You can see Smith Rose brilliant for an hour. Then he fades. Saka a little bit too. As well. Yeah, yeah. I t- I think that's exactly spot on. Well, well let's, um, let's bring Paul back in here because, Paul, I think there is one other point here that could really change everything for Thursday. We we have switched to this sort of 3-3-4 or 4-3-3, depending on how you want to phrase it, with Shaq at left back, principally because Tierney's been out, but also because Odegaard's been out. Now, we know when Odegaard was fit, Arteta loved him. He just, the way he spoke about him, the way he used him, you really could tell he loves the player. And my guess is he will want to use him on Thursday. Mm-hmm. But Odegaard being back gives him the ability to go back to a 4-2-3-1, to push Shaq back into midfield, to put ESR on the left, to use Odegaard in that floating 10, Pepe on the right or Saka on the right, probably Saka, sit Pepe down, which I don't love, or if Aubameyang's not fit, Pepe through the middle, if not Martinelli, but it gives him that ability to go back to that structure and maybe just use Cedric at left back. Um, Or he can take Ceballos out and use Odegaard as one of those sort of two eights, however you want to use them. I know you don't necessarily view it that way, but I think as a shorthand, you know what I'm talking about. I'm curious which you think he will do. Um, in light of the fact that I'm I'm not sure that role fits Odegaard as well as that between the lines player in the four two three one. So how do you think Odegaard's return and the likelihood that Arteta will want to use him impacts the system he might pick? I think he's going to want to use Odegaard. I think he'll want to use it very much as a four two three one. I think that's a good call. 
Oh, yeah. So Shaka, Actually, Shaka back to midfield, do you think, to, to partner yeah. with Party? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully he saw enough in the last couple. I, I think from the last couple of games, he'll be frustrated that it was good, but not good enough. Like maybe we all were against Fulham, against Everton. And he's going to want a bit more. Well, like, I don't think uh, Aubameyang being back, obviously that's more. Um, and it gives us that mature presence in the front four and an actual striker who might put the actual ball in the net. But that's 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 only enough if you're generating the chances. I think you want to do something a little different. And he has relied on Odegaard when he's had him available. And he's Odegaard had had an airing in the previous game for a little bit, in this game for a bit. So I guess he's he's hoping that Odegaard's now ready and we'll go with the 4-2-3-1 and it certainly gives him Smith Rowe as an option um, from the left potentially, which we've seen in multiple games um, and hopefully he's not going to see if Chaka can survive one more game at left back because uh, it's obvious what the opposition should do, especially as they'll be playing at home and I know we don't think there's a, the same level of home and away differentiation that we've seen in other seasons. Well, there is but, when you have the away goals rule, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if they think there's a difference, there's a difference. So uh, there's a good chance they'd come at Chaka. There's a, a 100% chance they'll come at Chaka at left back. So I'm hoping we go to a 4-2-3-1, which probably means Chaka. Sorry, I hope we go away from Chaka at left back, which means very, very likely Chuck in midfield. So you're straight yeah. off a four-two-three-one with Odegaard in there. I do actually agree that the last game, this Everton game, was the most four-three-three-ish. Well, three-three-four-ish. That was the most Danny Sabayas as an attacking eight uh, we've seen. Like uh, I call him a slider, depending on the state of the game. It, it, if we've got the ball, if we're on the ball, he does. He is starting to push up like an extra eight, an attacking eight. Um, and in this game was the most decided uh, uh, instance of that where he was very much not just sitting in a two because we didn't really use a two. And he was doing lots of stuff. But uh, this was, I definitely think this was your strongest case for, oh, look, we're playing with a three and a, a, a V in midfield with party at the base of it. Yeah. Yeah, there were, there were moments in the game where if you just freeze the frame, you could see it. It was it was geometric, yeah. Well, and the thing is, I think in other games there were moments. In this game, I think you'd have to look for moments where it wasn't in that kind of a shape. It was very decidedly committed. That's your point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think four-two-three-one is the most likely uh, setup here, uh, just on the, uh, on the assumption that we move Chaka into midfield, uh, and I do think he, like, we see Odegaard is pretty young, but but I think he's very much, he's been this mold and played at a high level consistently uh, for a season or so with with uh, Real Sociedad. He knows this role, and I just think Arteta's confidence in him, confident in him playing that role. We've seen him play it for us solidly right from the get-go. I, I think that's the other thing you got to remember, although he's coming back. He came into us cold and was good, basically, from the get-go. So he knows this job. He's he's very smart. Uh, hopefully he'll just snap right back in here and yeah. be able to play the best part of a full 90 minutes against these guys. And we need to do something different, because although we've been 
you know, we can be kind to our performances against Fulham and Everton as maybe we didn't get our due or whatever, but they still weren't enough. And they weren't decisive. Like, no, no, they were, no, they we were did. adequate without being decisive and we need to be decisive. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what, Paul? Also, I, I mean, it really depends. I believe we have to score in Spain. I yeah. don't, we cannot come back needing to keep a clean sheet at home. I, I just don't, I don't think we want to be in that position. I think the away, I think playing the away leg first is fantastic. Because I think you can go kill a tie by getting a couple of away goals. Um, if he goes to the 4-3-3 or the 3-3-4, depending on how you want to name it, he gets an extra one of his attackers on. So we could have Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, Pepe, Saka, and a striker. Either Aubameyang or, let's say, Martinelli or Enkedia. If he goes back to the 4-2-3-1, one of those guys comes out probably Pepe, which I don't love, but it may feel like he has less of a target on his back with Shaq at left back, and he has a little more solidity. I'll be curious to see which way he goes. Um, but either way, I think we got to go try to get goals out there. I, we're not. Yeah. Isn't it funny how things have changed in terms of just how it. I don't recognize us from the first half of the year. Like our choices are will we go attacking or even more or attacking? Or even more attacking. Will we get all the good attackers on the pitch or just most of them? Yeah, I mean, and it certainly looks like William is, to, to that point has faded from the. the the sort of discussion in terms of being a prominent player. I, I don't think we'll be seeing him start on Thursday, which is a relief. Uh, Paul's got to go, but we're not quite done here. So I'll, I'll say goodbye to Paul, who's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Pause. Woohoo! Thanks, bud. Uh, look, I want to remind you that Akil from the um, uh, Arsenal Supporters Trust is going to be on to talk fan forum and the protest and stuff. A, a, a big proponent of that uh, organizer and, and all things um, AST. So we'll be talking to him in a moment. I hope you'll stick around for that. But before we do, Clyde, there's really just two things I want to touch on. One is is sort of just for fun, but one is sticking with this game. Um, there's a lot of little availability issues here and tweak issues here that could influence Arteta's decision. Uh, David Luiz could be fit, I think. Um, Aubameyang could be fit. Odegaard is fit. Shaq at left back versus, you know, bringing Cedric back in, the goalkeeper. It, it is sort of the unfortunate situation. If I wanted to have a criticism of Arteta right now, it's that somehow we've gotten to the semifinal of European competition in late April, and really we don't know the system we prefer. Now, you could say that injuries had a lot to do with that and an unbalanced squad and trying to search for a solution. I don't think you want to be going into the first leg of a semifinal feeling like, well, we could play this midfielder at left back, we could move him in and play this right-footed, right back at left back. I mean, I realize that's injury-related, but, you know, there's a lot of decisions that feel up in the air. So just very simply, do you have a sense of which way he'll go? Um, and and if there's one or two players in particular that might swing his decision-making there? Yeah, I, I think as fans, we have to get more comfortable with these tweaks and evolutions of systems. It doesn't... I, I promise you, I can be uncomfortable in all scenarios and all environments. <laughs> Don't test me. Uh, I, I, these old structures, Elliot, from away, right? Because yeah. we do podcast analyzing games. What do you think other teams are doing? Right? They're, they're analyzing us. And look at how long it took for someone to drop someone on Shaka's toes. So that, for me, that, that experiment's done. I've, I said early on I would play Gabriel in that, in that position because we're building up with three anyway. And so it's almost like a a three two two three, right? So we have two in front in party and maybe Chambers tucked in on the right. You have the left-handed midfielder dropping in to make it a three sometimes, but it's normally a two. With one of the forwards rolling off the front line, with two people staying high. That's what we're really doing, and it just flows. So just protect one of your sides, 
with someone who's a bit quicker. Just take away that advantage. You know, don't, and he can still build up. You're doing a three anyway. You've got three defenders there. And you go, you roll to a four under pressure. You have four different chambers drops in. So just do that. Put Shaka into midfield. Get him to engage people much higher up. Have more collisions, more transitions. Our, t- our tackling numbers are very low. Make sure we can do that. Basically, just, just push the game forward. Push the emphasis of our attacking game forward. I'm not worried about the system per se. We all know that the identity of our players are so diverse in the moment that when we play certain people, we look different. Right, so yeah. if you look at City, sometimes they have a, a tweaking shape, but they've got a similar set of technical players that their face doesn't completely change when they make those changes. Do you see what I mean? Ferran Torres is coming in, he's been built in behind. Um, he's been built in behind. Basically, you've got people like Bernardo, you've got Foden, two lefties. You've got players being built getting ready to come in, but they're all quite similar players that have similar principles of play. I think that's what we need to focus on, having players that have similar principles of moving it quickly, receiving it on the half turn of technical play, which we now we now have a few of. They're just very, very young. You know, that's where we are at the moment. So I'm absolutely fine with whatever he ends up doing. I would like to see Gabriel play left back. I've said it a few times. I just would do that, and I would just like to see a bit more Obviously, we need our forwards to be there. I, I like to see. I want to see that Bamyang play. I really do. And I found it quite. I found it quite sad, by the way, recently the way the fans have been towards him. I think it's quite depressing how short our memories are. I think if you can imagine it from a player's perspective, how they miss the fans right now. So the only connection that they're getting is via social media and. I saw some posts that Bamiyang did last week and I just made a mistake of looking at it in the comments why I did that, I don't know. And it was really quite vicious, the abuse that he was getting. I'm thinking, what's going on here? Do you know what I mean? What, what, it, I, I find what has it, he done wrong? I, 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 what, where I don't do understand we, it. Golden boot winner in a bad Arsenal team, came to us in his prime despite us being down, signed a new contract with us despite us being down. Committed to lead the line to us, doing the best he can in a broken team. Like, what's he done wrong? Yeah, like, we're all different, right? So I can say, I can sit here half an hour ago saying, like, I look into the goalkeeper's eyes and wonder if he's lacking a bit of confidence. I'm not going to tweet him back and call him this, that, and the other. Of course not. Can, I, mean? can I just it's say like, one thing about that, too? Because that is a point that people don't get. Sports wouldn't be fun if we couldn't analyze it. There's a difference between analyzing it and then showing up at someone's house and telling them their shit. There's a difference, right? So, like, yeah, I, I, that's well said. I'll turn it back over to you, but I, I think that's a really important point. It's fun to analyze it, but you don't have to drag your nasty opinion into the face of the player himself. That's where it becomes a different thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think because I felt the game on Friday was a unique game, and I did feel that the fans were were missed. And I started to look back at some. I started to look back at some quotes Arteta made last year about missing the fans and missing that connection. And he said it, it definitely affects the players. And he quoted Old Trafford. He said, imagine we went to Old Trafford, we won. Normally we go out, we celebrate, we go out with their friends to celebrate. They have to go home and sit down. There's no enjoyment. We won an FA Cup. There was nobody there. There's no connection during the good days when we beat City, beat Chelsea. There's nobody there. There was no connection between us and the players. And we, we're becoming more distant to them. 
And now we feel as though when you're distant from somebody, you feel as though you can abuse them a little bit more. Do, do you see what I mean? I, I don't like it. I don't like what's happening. I really don't. I, I think it's more, I feel more, it's more important that we overly support during this period, if that makes sense. Even though we know in our hearts certain people are not where we want them to be, we need to overly support them. Because they, they need, they're the young men. They need, they need us too. Do you know what I mean? They need us. Their job has been turned upside down. The whole purpose by which they play, the purpose that drives them, the purpose that drives them when, they, when they've hit a wall on the pitch and they can't run anymore, what drives them? It's that connection to the club, your teammates, and the fans. We're talking about how we're important, and we'll be important all the time. Don't just be important when it suits us, when the owner's got the ump. Be important all the time. You know, I think it is. It doesn't mean you can't critique somebody. I just see some of the abuse that the players get directly, and I don't like it. I don't like it. Either. Yeah, and I want to say one thing, because there are some people listening saying, oh, well, yeah, those things drive me. You know what else drives them is the, the great money they make. And I want to be clear about saying, they do make amazing money. And I think that puts them in a unique stratosphere. And that stratosphere includes maybe not being able to check their mentions on social media, which is ugly and unfortunate, but it's the reality they live in. Celebrity, celebrity is a very strange thing. And people who have celebrity have to live in very different ways. Um, but anyone who's had a job can tell you this. When you show up at your job, you don't do a good job or a bad job because of the size of your paycheck. You know, how much money you make is important. Of course it's important. But it's the it's the influences around you that, that impact how how hard you push, how well you do. It's a boss telling you you did a great job today, or it's a fan cheering you on, singing your song, ringing it around the stadium. So I get that they make a lot of money. But what's unfortunate is the roars of the crowd when you score a goal, when you lift a cup, when you win a game, those are gone. So what does that leave you with? It leaves you with social media. And there, you're mostly getting the opposite, the trolls and the abusers and the people who would make your life miserable. Hell, I mean, even if you're playing well, other clubs' fans are in your mentions trolling you. So so that the positive feedback loop isn't there right now. And I think that is hard for anybody in any job, let alone athletes who are performers. I mean, that is what they do for a living. They perform. Um, so, yeah, and, and that's not me saying Obama Yang's had a great season, by the way. I, you know, you can have a bad season and not deserve the kind of Yeah, he's, he's just an example, isn't he? He's just yeah. an example. I mean, let's be honest. Zaka was only a couple of games away from getting it himself. Do you see what I mean? And that's how quickly things happen. And it, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. Look, I, mean, I, I don't know what's happening to people. I mean, look, Klopp was getting it. FSG were getting it. They, they, well, can, can I just say one thing about that? In. I can tell you what's happening to some extent. You have taken a globe of people, locked them in their homes, shut them out from one another, and said the only way you can communicate is with these technology tools that amplify the most ugly human emotions and instincts. The instinct to shout and yell that will amplify the angriest opinions, the most divisive opinions, the most upsetting comments. And then that's what you're surrounded with. So you're not hugging your grandmother or, you know, shaking hands with your best friend over a pint at the pub. You are online being confronted by that kind of energy on a day-to-day-to-day basis. And I'm not trying to forgive people for being nasty, but it's one of the reasons we need this over and we all need to get back to being in the ground and being together and, you know, being in person because that dynamic can bring out the best of who we are in ways that the digital environment doesn't always. So, you know, I'm not trying to give people an excuse, Clive, for being horrible. Oh, no, it's it's a very good point. And it's, it's a... 
it's a unique time in our lives, right? This is it. It's, this in is history. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's our generation's version of the world war, literally. That's what we're going yep. through at the moment. So, um, so hey, look, we have we lack chemistry with our ownership, obviously, and you'll come on to that if a kill shortly. But we lack chemistry at the, from the top. We lack. We know there's leadership void. We know we've seen many, many bad football decisions on and off the pitch, business decisions, millions going out the door, millions being wasted. We're still paying our old number 10 X amount a week. We don't know what that looks like. So we know we're not in the best place. But we can create the right chemistry with the, with the players. You know, that, that's what we can do, you know. And the, and the only way we can do that is mostly online. We don't. We haven't got to... To at a player every time someone says something about them and stuff like that, I just don't just don't see the benefit of that, and, and I've never seen any club win anything without good ownership, good player and relationships, and manager relationships. Without that interconnection, I've not seen it work for me. Yeah, and um, at the moment we haven't got a lot of that at the moment, but we can control one thing, and that is how we connect to the players and. I think we have a responsibility to be better at that. I couldn't agree more and couldn't have said it better. Let's finish on a football note just so everybody gets a palate cleanser. Um, I'm going to say two words that confuse me, and I want you to help me understand. Okay? Say two very confusing mm-hmm. words for me, and I want you to help me understand. You ready for those two words? Mm-hmm. Joe Willick. Oh. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, well, he is an interesting player, isn't he? It depends. What is, what is he? Is it, I mean, if you well, if we only it, knew how to use a player who can score goals from midfield but can't seem to do other midfield stuff, that would be really interesting. But I don't know where that is. <laughs> I think um, yeah, I think Tim tweeted out something a little while ago about goals from midfield, and I think Joe Willett's got four, and we I don't think any of ours has got. I think he used we have the bias from open party. Play. We have uh, one, one from Shaka from a free kick. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when I saw the, the tweet, I just smiled to myself because that really tells us what Joe Willock is, right? He's not one of two midfielders that sit in and create a base. He's the next midfielder. He's the third midfielder in the 4-3-3. But we play that and, now. <laughs> but we play that now. Well, we, we don't really. I know, we don't I know. really. We roll into it. Yeah. We roll into a shape from the front end of the pitch. If we were to set up as a 4-3-3, then you got to say to yourself, we we got to maximise his potential. But he's also worth twenty five million pounds at the moment, and we could buy him a field that we know exactly who he is, what he is, what he does for a system that we are going to end up playing. Right? So, and that's the dilemma. I mean, he, I think he's a fine player, but you said it there. What is he? What is he? And for us, he goes up against Smith Rowe, and. Smith Rowe's a bit cleaner, technically better. Mm. Um, goal scoring potential can be used in the upper end of the pitch and could be developed into an eight, into the lower end of the pitch quite easily. So he's going up against him. He's going up against either Odegaard or a signing. Right? So you've got to say to yourself, do we utilize that resource to allow us to get where we need to get to by adding a signing in that in that area, by using it for a another centre midfielder that gives us a bit more authority than some of the players that we have there already, a bit more go forward than Elneny, for example. I've got a little bit more that allows party not to do everything in the middle of the pitch. 
there's opportunity to develop the team, to upgrade the team. And sometimes you just got to take it. I've been, you know, been saying that for a long time. Upgrade, just upgrade, but make sure you know. Joe Willicke's one I'll be disappointed to see go, but if you've got 25 million and he can go and get his career and play for a team that absolutely plays to his skills, and that, that's a success in itself for the club. That's a huge success. He may not fit where we are or where we need to be, but he can have a fantastic Premier League career. And, and you know, I mean, his goal against West Ham, that was a goal. You know, he's gone to Anfield and scored in the last minute. It's, it's good stuff. And it shows what happens when you believe in a young player. You believe in him, and he's not starting all the games. He's giving it 25 minutes towards the end. But he's coming on to a game plan. Again, the start or finish your thing. He's finishing the game. They're finishing with a strong team. They bring on him and Callum Wilson towards the end. And they run teams back. And that's their game plan, right? So, and he's benefiting from it. He wants to start games. But at Arsenal, we didn't know what he wants. We didn't know what to use him. We played him number 10, a true number 10. He doesn't get on the ball enough. He needs to be in broken play, but the team doesn't really have the ball that much. But he'll get you a goal. And, I, and the first time I saw him at Newcastle, I thought, that suits you. And then he seems really happy. That's the most important thing. But, hey, if he comes back and we have a plan for him, great. But if he goes 25 mil, great as well. And we got to be, you taught me this, we got to be not afraid of the churn. Yeah. Take Kill it, your darlings. Take the and, you know, there's a player at Brighton who I think is fantastic, and he would transform the base of our team. And I know exactly what he is. Dunk? And he, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he can play eight, he can play six. And, uh, and, no, the, way he's, okay. and the way he plays, we, there's no debate. Right? So, um, and if that helps fund that move, we need to, we need to do it, right? That's, yeah, that's Basuma's special, that's I agree. All right, well, here's football. We're going to talk a little fan forum. We're going to talk a little protest with a kill from the AST. So that is coming up. But uh, that means we have to say goodbye to Clive, unfortunately, who will be back on a future Patreon pod that you should subscribe to because, come on, support Clive's work. Or don't. Either way, we love you. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with more after this. But before we do, uh, I do want to tell you about another partner that we have and a, and a really special company called Candid. It's CandidCo.com, the letter C-O.com, CandidCo.com. Are you unhappy with your smile? Well, you don't have to be. Thousands of people have Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners that help straighten your teeth. And now they love their smile. And you know what? You could too, just like Justin from Atlanta when he was younger, he used to have a gap in the front and side. He noticed that people always looked at his mouth first because right when we smile, that's what they see. He was looking for a fix. And Justin says, Candid ended up being the perfect company for me. And he can't stop smiling, which is good. We'd all love to feel that way right now, given what's going on in the world. Look, I remember I uh, went to a dentist. I have a slightly turned tooth and then one that's slightly uh, out of position. And I had worn braces for years and years and years as a kid, would never go back to that. They wanted to sell me an invisible aligner thing that was going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. No thanks. This is thousands less. Your treatment's prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in teeth movement. So you're still getting real orthodontic care there. You'll have the same quality care you'd get from an in-office orthodontist, the comfort and convenience of your own home. So other companies use general dentists, Candid uses orthodontists, and the average Candid treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results before then. It costs thousands less. So Go for it. Become your best you. Start straightening your teeth today. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com slash vision. 
Candid CO, Candid CO, like Candid Company, CandidCo.com slash vision and use code vision. All the vision. Be like Martin Odegaard. Have all the vision. CandidCo.com slash vision, code vision. That's CandidCo.com slash vision, code vision. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. CandidCo.com slash vision, code vision. Okay, nonsense out of the way, and now we can get to the good stuff, and that means I get to introduce uh, a very special guest, Akil Vyas, um, from Arsenal Supporters Trust, a board member at the Arsenal Supporters Trust. In fact, you can follow him on Twitter at 10 Akil, number 10 Akil, and it is great, my great pleasure to uh, speak with you now. Hello, Akil. Hello, yeah. I'm, I'm, the fact that you said the fun begins now, I hope I'm not going to disappoint, but I'll, I'll give it a go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, to be fair, I think when your uh, area of expertise that we'll be speaking about is the uh, crumbling of the values and traditions of our club under under the <laughs> ownership that we have currently, I don't know that you could qualify that as fun, but it's certainly important and interesting, and I appreciate yeah. you giving me the time, yeah. No problem. So uh, let's start in an interesting place, actually, because you are positioned to to know about some conversations that are ongoing that I think a lot of people may not be as up to speed on. Tim Payton, who is uh, also on the board of the Arsenal Supporters Trust, actually met with uh, Boris Johnson, uh, who, in addition to having quite floppy hair, has quite a bit of political power as well. Um, he is the prime minister of, of your great country. And there's obviously a lot of discussion of government's involvement in regulating football and the ownership model within football. And I'm wondering if you can sort of expand on those conversations and what you understand to be some of the, the mooted ideas and approaches to trying to be custodians of the game, but also maybe some concerns you might have about that as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the reason why a meeting like that comes together is the way we work with other football organizations and supporters across the country. Mm. So people, I think it, I'm not sure people really knew this up till probably last week, but we 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 have just as many conversations with other supporter trusts than we do with our own sort of other Arsenal groups. You know, we're in WhatsApp groups with Spurs, Chelsea, Man United, Man City, um, supporter groups. We're a part of the FSA, which is the Football uh, Supporters Association. Um, so we, we have regular Premier League meetings. When we actually meet the Premier League, we, we, we're, we're meeting them with maybe five or six other clubs and we've got to represent all the Premier League clubs. So there's a lot of work that goes on. And, and what that essentially means is when you have an issue like the Super League, um, which happened last week, you kind of you gather all those clubs and all those fans together to make one powerful voice. Mm. So that's kind of how the Boris Johnson meeting came along, that it wasn't just Arsenal, because let's be frank, Arsenal were part of it, but weren't it wasn't just about Arsenal. We're not arrogant enough to, to, to think it was just all about us. But the fact that it was Arsenal, Spurs, Man United, you know, we all met with Boris Johnson along with the Premier League and the FSA. It made it a lot more powerful. So that's one thing. I think working with other clubs is, is, is essential because um, it makes us all stronger. And then in terms of the actual meeting, I mean, you know, pe- people will... will ugh, when you meet with, with prime ministers or politicians and stuff, you're always a little bit sort of you're suspicious <laughs> yeah, about why fair. they're meeting you, <laughs> if they're going to actually do anything. Is it just PR? Is it it was the biggest story of the week? Is it, you know, but what we, we had a very clear aim, and that was to get some sort of a commitment from the prime minister that his government will look into the structures of kind of football. 
and then get get a commitment that which minister is actually going to do it. And and I'm pleased to say we got that. So we we talked to him about the Super League, about fan ownership, about kind of you know what the Cronkies did to our minority shareholders and stuff like that. And and I think I don't think he's a massive football fan, but he did get it. Um, and then most importantly, he committed to a review. And that review is being done by Tracy Crouch, who's a former sports minister, so she gets sport. She's a Spurs fan, um, but apart from that, she's mm. a very nice person. Um, <laughs> and, and, and she's already taken that forward. That's already progressed. Um, the AST and other um, supporter groups will have a chance to input into that. So it, it has moved on in a week. So in a way, we'll probably won't speak to Boris Johnson again. And, and in a way, we don't really have to, as long as we can speak to Tracy Crouch. And 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 because she's a sports former sports minister, she does get it. So... That's kind of how it works. You know, we, we did get some tweets and stuff saying, oh, well, the prime minister is obviously going to agree because of PR. And that's all fine. And maybe that is the reason. But since then, it's moved on and we don't really need the prime minister to do much now. So it, it's yeah, it, it was definitely worth doing. And, and, and hopefully we'll see change. You know, it's. You know, whether we see a change of owners, you know, that that would be great. But you want to make sure that the next owners can't do the same thing and then the owners after that can't do the same thing. We want to protect our clubs for, you know, not just our lives and, and our, you know, generation, Elliot, but our children and grandchildren's yeah. generation as well. So making some sort of structural changes will actually do that. And that's what we want. We want fan representation at boardroom level. Um, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean, you know, people like me because i'm not qualified enough i can talk a good game but ultimately oh, I think I'm you'll find there's lots enough. of unqualified people running arsenal at the moment well well yeah yeah good point but but you know if you could find the right type of people whether they're they're business owners with experience whether there's ex-players as well you know we've had lots of legendary players who could play a part then that's what you ultimately want but but we'll certainly be fighting for this because we think it's needed yeah i mean look it is hard for me. There's a saying in politics, never let a good crisis go to waste. And you do wonder if this is, hey, when as a politician do your aides come to you and say, here's the thing everyone hates. And if you come out against it, it's an easy win, right? So yeah. it, it, there is obviously always that concern of self-interest. But I think one thing that is relevant, Akil, is that when government gets involved, even if it's in sort of an illusory way, just the mention of government involvement may be enough to make business owners and billionaires fearful of trying to push something through for fear of being regulated because if there's one thing we know they don't like it's being regulated by the government of course um, of and, course and, and and exactly that and i think sometimes you have to use you know the crisis to your advantage and, and in a similar way with you know at the moment arsenal are apologetic and they are kind of they know they their fans don't trust them they have to make it up to us so this is where we, we need to use that to our advantage. And it was the same thing with government. So, you know, in a crisis, you, you need to be smart. And, and and I think fans were smart last week across the country, ultimately leading to um, the, the Super League kind of falling over quicker than a pack of cards. Yeah, it was hilarious and delightful to see both at the same time. I, let me ask you about fan involvement on the board level or, or just in the club generally. I mean, I think we're not so naive as to think that being given a voice necessarily makes a difference to someone who owns 100% of the club. But is it fair to say that simply by having fan involvement, it's possible that the people running the club can connect to issues and concerns and ideas about the club that they have no other exposure to? Because the one thing this whole incident sort of really identified for me is the extent to which they are living in a bubble 
that they thought that this could ever be met with anything other than being reviled universally by football fans. So yeah. is the is the benefit of having fan representation not so much that you have a a decisive voice, but simply the ability to have the ownership understand the perspective of the fan in a way they clearly don't at the moment. Yeah, I, I think so. At, at the first sort of instance, absolutely. I mean, you know, Josh Cronky last Thursday went and tried to tell us what we're thinking. You know, he tried to tell us what the global fan wants, what the European fan wants and what the national fan wants. Mm. Well, you know, he, he could ask fans, he could ha- he could engage with fans and actually he'll get a much better answer rather than telling us what he thinks we think, which is wrong. Um, so, so I mean, that, absolutely at the first instance, and we've said that all along, that if they'd bothered to engage with fans or even bothered to just look at the minutes for previous fans forums, they would have actually seen that the, the position of fans on on the European Super League is very clear, but clearly they didn't bother to do that, or if they did, they just ignored it anyway. Um, so I think at first instance, yes, absolutely, just to have a have a voice in that boardroom, because we, we, we get a bit of a voice to the CEO and the execs. We do have kind of some engagement there and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, on Monday, we, we did get to talk to Arsenal, so that was the day after it was announced, and we absolutely went, we were very direct, we told them why we thought it was absolutely awful, uh, an absolute disgrace, we we called for the owner to be at the fans forum, which by the way was cancelled, we had to, we pushed for that to be back on and then called for the owner to be there, um, so so we certainly had a bit of a voice there, but yeah, absolutely, if, if, if the owner has some sort of an advisory board or some sort of, you know, board rep, fan representation at board level to ping ideas across, then, you know, that, that would probably help. Um, and, you know, board members would have to sign things. So it might, a lot of it wouldn't come out in the public domain, but just the fact that Josh or Stan or whoever the owner is could actually consult with some fans just to say, what, what do you think about this idea? It might be a start because then at least some ideas, stupid ideas like this, might not lift the, might not leave the ground. And remember, if, if every club does that, then an issue like this might not have left the ground because if Man City, Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool, Spurs all did the same, asked some fans about it and all the fans were united and would have given the same sort of answer, then you might not have even had a Super League idea touted because every club knows it was a bad idea from the start. So, it, it, it's not just about Arsenal. It has to happen everywhere, uh, which is why we're really calling from it from government. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense to me. So let me ask you a, a hard question that there's no good answer for, which is I, I think we've seen universally that the sentiment towards KSE is that their ownership is unhealthy to Arsenal and that they need to go. What's less clear to me is what a good owner would look like. Uh, you know, you, you're choosing between oligarchs and sports washing nations and other billionaires who, you know, I, I don't see why we presume they would be better billionaires. So benevolent Spotify billionaires instead of uh, evil real estate moguls, you know, it, it all feels like you're, you're picking your poison. So as someone who, you know, obviously like myself feels that this owner needs to go, do you have a sense of what you feel is the right thing to come in behind KSE or, or how we would even start to think about a change in ownership? Well, I think, I think firstly, uh, a good owner has good governance around him or her. Mm. Um, at the moment, they don't. The Arsenal have a board of four people, um, Josh Cronkey, Stan Cronkey, Tim Lewis and Lord Harris. Lord Harris has been around a long time, 
you know, does he get a voice? I, I don't know. Um, you know, Chips Keswick was obviously there and, and left um, in the summer, um, you know, a couple of summers ago rather. But it, 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 Tim Lewis is is the Cronkies' lawyer, legal man. So again, is he going to challenge the Cronkies enough? So so governance there is just totally wrong. And that, that the Super League sums it up because the apology last Tuesday was from the Arsenal board. So it's mm. very clear who made the decision. And that board just isn't fit for purpose. It's got the owners on and it's got maybe two people who aren't going to fight against the owners. So, so that's number one. You can have execs in, you know, you can have the best CEO in the world. You can have the best kind of director of football and stuff like that. But if your governance at board level isn't good, then you're not going to own, you're not going to run a very good football club. So, you know, clubs like Ajax and stuff have had former players there. You know, I mean, we've got so many club legends um, that, you know, just imagine having a few of them on board. There was talk of David O'Leary being invited, but it was rebuffed and it, and it didn't quite happen for whatever reason. You know, Dennis Burkamp is, is obviously being touted in the last day or so recently. But imagine having someone like Dennis Burkamp involved as well, respected around the world, intelligent, um, you know. So that that's one thing. I think having governance, the right governance, which this which Cronkies don't have at boardroom level, is one about running a good football club. And then obviously that, that engagement piece with fans, you know, actually, when was the last time the owners actually engaged with fans? You know, um, the forums just aren't there. Again, the execs do engage. But then we've seen this week that if there's a big decision to be made, it's the owners that are going to make it. So ultimately, are we engaging with the wrong people? You could argue we are. So the engagement aspect is, is, is massive and, and the owners don't do that. So if they could get that right, governance and engagement, it would probably help. Of course, then you need right people running, you know, running the show. So, you know, if you, you need to, you know, have the best people in the commercial part. So they're getting the best commercial deals for the club. The people that are in charge of contracts need to be kind of very good. Recruitment, the manager, the CEO, all that comes after. But if you can get your governance right, then that is a little bit easier. You know, is, is Edu the right person? No idea. You know, is Mikel Arteta the right person? No idea. But at the moment, the boardroom isn't fit for purpose, which means do we? Do, do, would Josh, would Stan or Tim Lewis even know if Edu is the right person or not? How would they know? They don't mm. quite get our game. So if you did have a Dennis Burkamp, I'm just using his name because it's been touted recently, but if you did have a couple of Dennis Burkamps on the board who actually get the game, they'll probably be able to tell you fairly quickly if Edu is the right person or not. Of course, they're a teammate, so mm-hmm. it's maybe a little bit convincing. <laughs> but, 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 yeah. but, but you know what I mean? Yes, if, of if you've got people in the game, then that would help. So it's all it all goes down to governance in that boardroom for me. The suggestion that the people that had the wisdom to hire Raul Sanyehi may not know who the right guy is is shocking to me. Um, yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean... That's a whole other story. <laughs> that maybe be best left. Yeah, maybe best left on yeah. Um <laughs> I think... Well, so so a couple things. First of all, I you know you, you have had access to Josh Cronkey, but not Stan Cronkey, and it it raises the issue for me that you know we you put a statement out on the website that Stan is non to launch the Super League. You put an open letter on the website that's signed by the board and not by Stan. You do a fan forum that Josh and V and I are at, but Stan's not there. And I'll, I'll use casual first names with with these guys because why not? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it does lead me to wonder. What, if anything, has been accomplished here if the guy running the club is Stan Kroenke? But that leads me to ask you, do you get a sense 
that Stan Kroenke is meaningfully turning over the reins to Josh Kroenke or that Josh is just willing to go get out in front of the opprobrium surrounding Stan's ownership? Well, it's I think Josh has been more involved at Arsenal. Um, certainly spent a lot of time around the time Arsene Wenger moved on. At, he came and spent time in London. Um, he's the one who has attended the fans forum once before. So he's done two in 10 years, which is maybe an achievement for him, but certainly not good enough for us. Um, so, it, 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 but I mean, you know, Stan Kroenke's obviously got other business interests as well. Um, he's obviously a lot older. So there potentially is a natural fit where Josh is kind of, you know, Josh has always said that he's here to represent his family. And whether we're talking to him or we're talking to Stan Kroenke, it's the same thing. But obviously Stan Kroenke's name is under, is the owner of KSC who own Arsenal Football Club. So we'll always be wanting to hear from Stan as the owner. But ultimately, I think if we were to, for example, persuade Josh that actually you should sell the club, um, I think that message would get to Stan. And ultimately, if Josh says, yes, let's sell the club, I think Stan would, would agree with him. So I don't think there's 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 too much to worry about there. I think it's just getting that message across, whether it's Stan or Josh, not too, not not massively bothered at this stage. Two things that came out of the fan forum. I mean, yeah, you told them point blank, get out of our club. They said pretty clearly, we have no interest in selling. Do you get the sense that that is their position right now? I mean, there's rumors of, uh, you know, the CEO of Spotify being interested, but you can't buy something that isn't for sale. So do you have any instinct on whether they, they might be wavering in their commitment? Um, I, I think I think they certainly don't have any intentions to sell. And, and I do believe that. And I do believe what they said there. But then things can change. You know, things can change very quickly. And I think all the noise that has developed over the last few days, whether that's outside the ground, whether that's on social media, trending. I mean, who likes to see their own name negatively trending on social media? Um, So I think noise does help. I think if that continues, they might have a decision to make, maybe. Um, I don't think that alone, by the way, would, would, would make a difference, but but certainly as a combination with other things. I think the government piece, you know, do the Cronkies want fans to have to own shares? Do they want to give some shares back? Do they want pesky fans, pe- pe- you know, peasants in the boardroom? Mm-hmm. Probably not. So if that was to happen again and there was noise, then they might change their mind a little bit as well. And the other thing is if, if you know, if somebody else does make a decent offer where they're making money and they might think, actually, you know what, it's not worth the, it's not worth the hassle. So I think at the moment today, they, they certainly don't want to sell and I don't expect them to sell. But you never know. Things things change. You know, you can own a house, Elliot, that you have no intention of selling. But one day something might happen where you just think, you know what, I, I, I'm going to sell. So you, you never know. Um, yeah. But at the moment, I would say probably it's probably not high on their agenda. Yeah, like, for example, if all your neighbors picketed outside your house every day and told you that you were yeah, a jerk yeah, exactly. and you should get out of town. Um, two quick things before I let you go. One, just really quickly, you know, look, I wouldn't say this was a resounding defeat for the Super League only insofar as at the fan forum when asked about it, they basically said, well, the next time we'll approach it differently. We'll, we'll try to tell you about it more. Like, it wasn't exactly the comment of a group of people that feel this idea is done forever. There are issues with the structure in football presently. So given how quickly this was sort of dropped on us like a lead balloon, how nervous are you based on those comments that they made that this is just on pause more than it is truly killed? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, 
anything can happen again. I don't think we'll see much in the next year or two. I think clubs have, certainly in England, have learned maybe a bit of a lesson. Um, but, you know, would I be surprised if in two years' time, three years' time, there's another sort of Super League with maybe there is a bit of sporting merit in there, but it's a bit different. I probably wouldn't be surprised. But then hopefully before that can even happen, we've done some work with the government, we've, we've changed structures and hopefully then, if a Super League proposal does come in play, owners wouldn't be able to just sign it off and, and go and do it because the structures have changed. So I think it's one thing at a time, if you know what I mean, Elliot. We can't worry about Super League 2 yet. Let's focus on changing ownership structures first. And then if we can do that, we've pretty much resolved a lot of the other things as well, like Super League point 2.0 yeah that's, that's very well said and the one thing we can all agree on is if they do have a super league too let's hope they call it electric boogaloo um <laughs> last last thing and i know you're pressed for time so i'll let you go but Sorry. with all that that has happened and with all of this this pain that's been brought on the arsenal fan base at the thought of really the fundamental structure of football being being torn down the ground will reopen there will be arsenal football at the emirates again you know, drinks with your mates and getting together before the game and going into the ground and singing the songs and, and, you know, having a few drinks after that's what it's really about. You didn't get into this to be a politician, to be a custodian. Um, has this dented that connection for you at all? Are you desperate to get back in the ground or do you find that this has, has in any way soured your taste for it at the moment? Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a really good question. I think this is such a subjective question. I think everybody will have a different course, opinion, yeah. and, and, and rightly so, because we're all individuals. Um, but funny enough, this week we did actually meet with the club in a pre-agreed uh, meeting about the return of fans, because we, we the ST have been heavily active in making sure that the return of fans is done safely and done fairly and all that kind of stuff. So. We did have a meeting, but but we were very. This was before the Super League was was ditched, essentially. So at the time, we didn't know. But we were very strong then, and said, "Well, why would we want to come back?" And and on you know Monday and Tuesday, I was questioning, "Would I actually want to go back?" Obviously, things have changed now, but I don't know. You know, there's two ways of looking at this. One is we've been out the ground so long that we just want some normality, and we all want to go back. But then there's the other way of looking at it: I've survived this long. I could probably survive another few months if it means that we really put pressure on the ownership. So I, I personally would be potentially up for boycotting a couple of games because that for me means that the, you know, we could put more pressure on the ownership, but of course I want to get back in the game. Of course I do it every week, go home and away. It's been a massive void. Um, so I definitely want to go back, but maybe the year out has taught me that, you know, if, if this happened, 18 months ago when we didn't even know what it felt like not to go to games, I probably would have said, I just can't see a boycott. I just can't see people saying no, because it's just, it's unheard of at Arsenal. But now we've haven't been there for a year and a bit, year and a half. Um, is it unheard of? Probably not, you know? So it, again, it's subjective. There'll be some people who just want to get back and for their own mental health and their own reasons, they just want to get back. Absolutely fine. Totally understand it. But there'll be some who say, actually, no, I've survived this long. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit further. So hard to say, Elliot, but it comes down to personal choice. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. 
It will indeed. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of Arsenal fans will be signing up to Spotify this week if they haven't already, but that's a whole <laughs> other story that we can talk about maybe next time. Well, look, the next time I talk to you, I hope it is uh, to discuss our newly crowned Europa League champions and, and our future in the Champions League. But whenever it is, I hope I get the chance to meet you in person, share a drink uh, and some Arsenal football and maybe not have to talk about this stuff at all. How's that sound? Yeah, it sounds, sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> sounds absolutely. Perfect. Well, please uh, follow Akil on Twitter at 10 Akil and, and all the great work that he's doing uh, with the AST and trying to keep Arsenal in good hands and on the right path. Akil, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. No worries at all. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, we love you, and we will talk to you, hopefully, after Arsenal 10. Villarreal nil. Oh